I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work at Home Edition. Okay, we're talking about Infinity, and I have a guest today. So Chris Mooney uh, was my right-hand person from the very, very first day of exploratory design to the very last day of, like, the polish, which is the part after set design. Um, and so I'm real excited to have Chris here to talk all about lots of individual cards. Hey, Chris. Hello. Excited to be here. Yes, it was a long, it was a very <laughs> long journey. Uh, um, but it was, yeah, it was so much fun working on this set. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about some of the, the fun behind the scenes stories of these cards. Okay. So the first card we're going to talk about is called Octo Opus. So let me read the card and then you will tell me the origin of Octo Opus. So three blue, blue enchantment. When Octo Opus ent enters the battlefield, create a 4-4 blue Octopus Performer creature token named Contortionist with, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may fold this token in half. It becomes 2-2, then 1-1, half-half, and so on. Sacrifice Octo Opus, draw a card and an additional card for each of Contortionist's folds. Okay, where did this card come from, Chris? Right, so very early on, you know, like right from the start, um, you sort of gave us the pitch of what the flavor of the set was going to be. And, you know, we made a, a list of what we thought would be fun tropes, um, you know, from circus, carnival, theme park. Uh, and a contortionist was one that we, you know, one day, I think George Fan and I were sitting around and we were like, contortionist, like, that seems like a fun one. Um, and in an unspace, of course, we were trying to think of, you know, what are some silly ways to, um, to engage with that? So we thought, wouldn't it be funny if, you actually folded something up really small, uh, like physically representing the contortionist. Um, and of course we were like, oh, well, you know, in the past we have made cards where you have to rip them up and they've not been very popular. Uh, people don't, don't like destroying their magic cards. But we said, oh, well, what about a token? Because tokens, you know, they're a more replaceable um, and you could, you could use, you know, just a scrap of paper laying around to represent a token. Um, so we, we got some tokens that were lying around the office and we started folding them up and tried to see how many folds we can get and how small it could get. Um, and so we, we were like, it's really fun to, to fold up, you know, a token or, you know, people might, you know, make their own token out of a napkin and they start folding the napkin. So we thought it was really cute. We also thought it was cute to have the creature actually get, like halved in size, um, you know, we actually hit, we have access to fractional numbers <laughs> in uh, in unsets. So we were like, oh, it should actually become like a half half, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but the the real challenge from a design standpoint was like, okay, you can fold your creature in half, but why would you want to do that? Like, why would it be fun to have a creature that gets smaller and smaller uh, over time? Um, and so we went through a couple of different iterations on what would be the bonus uh, for actually folding the creature up more and more. Um, we went through a couple of different iterations that were not great. Uh, I don't remember a lot of them. This last one, though, we were like... Um, well, I, I remember one. Let me explain one thing yeah. before we get to the final version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think originally it was a sorcery that made the token. Right. And so you just generated the token, and then everything kind of lived and breathed on the token itself. Right. And then it's, this last version was, wait, wait, maybe that's wrong. So how do we get to this last right, version? Right, yeah, because it, it, it was... We figured out that having an enchantment that at some point you could cash in the enchantment was a lot. It was easier to remember. It was, you know, less text on the token. So you could really get it small and you wouldn't have to read anything on it or something. Um, so, yeah. And then so we ended up being like, oh, like, you know, uh, the longer you can keep it in play, the more cards you can draw at some point. Um, and so we thought that was fun. We thought that, that uh, 
you know, we had a lot of fun folding up the token and, and seeing how many, like, you can, the, the thickness of a magic token that comes out of a magic pack, you can only get so many folds on there. But if you, if you made a token out of a different kind of paper, you could potentially get even more uh, if you can keep it alive that long. So, um, well, we're, we're working on the FAQ right now. I'm not sure whether we're going to let you have other pieces other than a token, so... Oh, okay. Um, All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, but we also, if I'm not mistaken, did get a unique, a special token printed for this card. Is that correct? Yes, we did. We did. In fact, the, the story behind that's kind of fun. So... The idea is we want, in order to make this work, it had to be a double-sided token that every time you folded it, there was the card of the right size with the right power toughness on it. Um, and this was a surprisingly hard concept to communicate. Like, I had had numerous meetings where I was, like, drawing pictures on paper and trying to explain the this and that. And um, this also is the only double-sided token, right? There's no other double-sided token in the right. set. So, uh like, for example, I think um, it, it, there are some weird things about this token that, that we we were we managed to do it, but it had there was a lot of challenges to it. And it was one of the things that I didn't 100% know. Like, it was one of the cards that I thought might get cut right at the end because we couldn't pull off the token. And what we said was, if we can't do the token, we don't want to do this. Like, it has to have the token. That That's, that's crucial to what this card is. Um, but everybody got on board and made it work, and it definitely was... One of the weirdest tokens we've probably ever made. So um. yes, that, I think it's a really cool token to like collect. The right, and you, you'll see it when the when the set comes out. But right, it's a four four on one side, and then on the back, it's like a half size two two, and then a further half size <laughs> you know one one, and so on and so forth. Um, and so it's yeah, it's really cool. Oh, there's one other thing we did at this card. Once we got the token made and we got signed off on the token, this card used to be a rare. And we moved it from rare to uncommon because we're like, we just want more people folding the token. So we moved it down to uncommon uh, so we can get the, we wanted the token showing up more and we want people just literally folding it more because it was so much yeah, fun. So. It is a lot of fun. Okay. The next card we're going to talk about is called Juggletron. So Juggletron is two in a red. Uh, it's an artifact creature, clown robot, zero four. Trample. Whenever Juggletron attacks, you may put an art sticker on it. Juggletron gets plus three plus O oh for each item in its art that's not touching Juggletron, another item, or the card frame. Right. So this was a very early on design. So once we knew we were doing art stickers, um, I sort of... So a lot of... There's a lot of art stickers matter in the set, uh, just with all the different kinds of stickers. Um, but I thought that art stickers were really fun because you could make cards that um, really can't about what's going on in their own art um so i remember we uh like i sat down and i designed a bunch of these and then actually physically drew a bunch of images that we don't normally do this but i was able to get the images into our internal database so that when we printed out playtest cards it would actually have our hand-drawn sketches in there because what the art showed really mattered. And this was one of those. I've got a couple others. You know, I, I think I show some uh, in my preview article that I just wrote. Um, but this, uh, right. So the idea of they're just kind of being a juggler, but they're being a bunch of e big empty space that you could put stickers in. That just felt really fun. Like art stickers are already so fun as a way to customize the art of your card. But then having art that's specifically designed to be customized um, felt like a really cool, fun idea that, you know, wouldn't really... Uh, work in any other context. Yeah, well, one of the, one of the things that this, so there's this card and there's a card called Ask uh, Aqua uh, Aquarium, 
uh, which are the two cards that you made a whole bunch, two ended up in the set, where kind of shape matters is the way I like to think of it. Right. Like, it matters... A lot of the cards, the stickers matter cause something stickered or cause it's a hat or something. But these cards, actually, literally the shape of them matters. And that's one of the things we were trying to do in is make cards that make make the things matter in different ways. Um, and so Juggletron and Astroquarium, although ironically Juggletron wants as many small things as possible and Astroquarium wants as many big things as possible. So right, yeah. they put, they put, Astroquarium, there's a crack you're trying to cover. So like they go in opposite directions. One wants really big stickers and one wants really small stickers. Um, and the funny thing about Juggletron was Annie did the concepting and I was really clear with Annie about how we needed lots of space so you put the stickers and then the art comes in, and Dawn, who's our art director, crops it so there's no space. Like she just crops. Like she's like, "Oh, the, I don't need all this blank space. I'll just crop in on the robot." Uh, and I'm like, "Dawn, Dawn, 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 no, we need, we need the open space." <laughs> and I had to go back and go, you know, had to had to have her recrop it because um, she originally like cropped so tight you couldn't fit anything on it because like right. she was like you... cropping out the empty space. In normal magic art, you don't want a lot of big empty spaces, nothing going on. But on this card, you do want a lot of big empty spaces, nothing going on. Yeah, one of the challenges of doing art for this set, unlike almost any other set, is art matters mechanically in a way that just it doesn't. And so there's there are a number of cards where, like, I had to convey to Annie and to Dawn, like, okay, this physical element of the art, like, it really matters... Um, so that anyway, that Juggletron's one of those right. cards. They were, yeah. you know, uh, one of the big ones in terms of that art thing was the hats, because hats are a theme. And there were a couple of cards that we had to say like, "Hey, could this have a hat?" <laughs> or you know, like, like this looks like it's wearing a hat, but it really needs to be a bigger hat so that everybody knows for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, and yeah. so yeah, it was very interesting art right, there's, and design cooperation on this. There, there's a point where the art comes in when the art's finalized, where the set leads allowed to go to the artist, I mean, the art director a little bit and go, oh, could we maybe tweak this one thing? And I used all my sort of tweaking art points on getting hats on white creatures because white black is our uh, our hat, uh, our draft archetype. And black was fine, but white, there was a lot of like ambiguously hatted creatures. And right, I had to go back and go, could park leader, could it be clear that park leader's wearing a hat, please? Stuff like that. So, Okay. Next up, oh, this this next one was a uh, very contentious card. Surprise party. Oh yes. Okay, surprise. so let, let me read it. Let me read it. Uh, two in white enchantment. When surprise party enters the battlefield, yell surprise and put onto the battlefield any number of printed clown robot tokens that aren't touching each other that you hit on the battlefield before you cast surprise party and that weren't spotted by an opponent before you cast surprise party. Robots you control get plus one plus zero oh, and have vigilance. Okay, talk about the origin of surprise party. Right, so there's a couple of gags that sort of, at this point I would call running gags, where they're fun, popular ideas for uncards that we sort of try to bring back over and over. And this one is in the cheaty face space. So the original, uh, not the original unset, but um, the original cheaty face was in Unhinged, and then Unstable had an entirely normal armchair. And both of those cards were cards where you you hid them on the battlefield and then you could surprise your opponent. Be like, ha ha, you didn't see it, but I snuck it on there. Um, and so during, I think, vision design, we were like, let's make another card where you hide things. But what if this time you could hide more than one? 
uh, we like the idea of if you're really sneaky, you can get even more things into play than normal. Um, and so that's why the idea of Surprise Party came about, which was you hide tokens, and then when you cast it, you get to put all the tokens onto the battlefield. Um, but this was a very challenging card because we kept on discovering more and more different ways that it was it was too easy to get a bunch of tokens on. So, for example, I remember in a playtest, somebody just had a bunch of a stack of tokens in their deck box, and they were like, "Ha here they are." Um, and so we were like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Or like, you know, someone had like a bunch of them hidden, like, you know, all like right on top of each other uh, underneath their play mat. Um, and there, so we were like, the idea of this card is really fun. It's really fun to see, hey, how many can you hide? It's a push your luck thing, right? The more you hide, the, the greater chances that someone will find them. Um, but we didn't. So like, for example, that's where the, the rule about, oh, they can't touch each other came from, because that really made you start to hide them in different places rather than trying to stack them all on top of each other. Um, but, you know, it, it took us a long time. We went through many, many, many iterations because we kept on finding little things that could really be annoying. Um, but I remember that for me, I was uh, I was very uh, a really big defender of this card and really tried to make it work because I just believed so strongly in the fun of... In a couple of those early playtests, people just like, surprise, and then you have like, a bunch of tokens. It was such a great moment, and I was like, I think it's worth it to try and make it work because it's so much fun when it actually does go off. Yeah, so the very first time this card ever got played, I was playing Donald, who was our play designer in vision design, and he didn't know this card's existence. So like, he was completely unaware this card existed, and I believe I hit like fourteen clowns. Where <laughs> like yeah, I mean, I went ahead of time. I knew I had it. I I, I hit them, and then I was all game long. I was seeding them everywhere. Um, and then this card, I, I agree. We we were back and forth on was this fun or was this not fun. The one big thing we did near the end is we kind of made it a card that if you're playing robots, look, you don't have to hide any robots. You can just like the robots get plus one plus one vigilance. We added that in to say, hey. If you don't want to hide things, it's still worth playing in your robot deck, and that yeah. you know you don't and you that, don't have to play that mini game. Right, that really helped a lot because one of the main reasons that we were struggling with it was because um, it used to just be a sorcery that made the tokens, and it was like, okay, well, if they catch you, now that card just doesn't do anything because they're now they're aware, they know that you're hiding them, um, and so making sure that it had sort of like a default mode um, really helped it to be like. Right, it raised the floor up a lot, and that meant that we could keep it alive, keep it in the set, and allow people to have those awesome moments. And yeah, I totally remember that, like, I think that that was really the time, Mark, that solidified, like, this card is awesome. Because, right, you were able to hide it, like, one was under your deck box, one was under the playmat, one was under the deck, like, you know, then just figuring out, like, how can you hide them in different areas? That was really, so, and that was so much more fun than having them all in the stack. And I was like, we gotta save this card. I really want to fight for this card. The other thing I, I remember is you were where I was hiding them and Donald wasn't, and you were trying not to laugh the whole time, because, like, you, <laughs> I just kept hiding them, and you were, so, I remember, anyway, that's... Uh, the other thing, by the way, is the reverse of Otto, Otopus, Otto Opus. I think the card started at Uncommon, and I'm like, okay, let's let's make this a little less common a thing that happens. In some level, if it happens more infrequently, it's more fun, and so we moved yeah. it up to Rare, so. And we also, I another thing that we did is, it, you know, it wasn't always flavored this way, but at some point, I was like, I think yelling surprise, <laughs> not only is it just kind of like a fun flavor thing, but also it is actually relevant, because if you yell surprise, and you show all the tokens, 
everyone else who's like in your draft is like they've got surprise party uh and it sort of like changes the dynamic um and i thought that was really fun as well okay the next card to talk about is called autograph book so it's an artifact that costs two uh two generic mana autograph book enters the battlefield with a page counter on it for each person who signed it three and tap remove a page counter from autograph book draw a card um okay so this i think this was your card right Yes, this was my card. I think this is, uh, it's a card that is incredibly near and dear to my heart. It's actually a very fun story about this card. So, um, back before, like when I was very young, like way before I worked at Wizards, I would, you know, like make my own custom cards just for fun as a hobby. Um, and I, you know, would be involved in various online, um, you know, online forums back when the days when forums were the big thing. Um, and there was a, a, there was a forum I was a part of that had a game where, you know, they were like, here's a prompt and make some cards. And one time the prompt was, uh, you know, make some uncards, you know, make some silver border cards at the time. Um, and so I, you know, I love Disney, uh, and just theme parks in general. I've been, I, as a kid, I would always have these autograph books. Um, and I really like this idea of, they're just an autograph book that like actually physically got people to sign it. That's, that seemed like a fun concept. It seemed like a fun thing in magic. You know, we do these tomes uh, that draw you cards. Uh, and so just having one of those, but like it actually physically you got people to sign it. And then it would also kind of give people a way to, oh, like if you go meet your, you know, favorite designer or your favorite pro player or your favorite content creator, you could have autograph book be the card that they sign for you. Um, so, but, but I was, you know, I was very young. I just like, this is a fun idea. So I made it um, and it just stuck in my brain. I never thought that I would ever get a chance to make that a real card, but flash forward many, many, many years and we're making an unset. And not only are we making an unset, we're making an unset that's flavored around theme parks. I was like, this, it's all come together, like a many, many years journey. But now Autograph Book is a real deal uh, and I can in the physical world, get people to sign it. Um, and so, yeah, this is definitely a very special card for me. Yeah, this card uh, got made pretty early on, and I don't think it changed much. Um, I mean, we might have fiddled with the cost or something, but I mean, it, it I think pretty much was what you made. It's, uh, brain to print, as we call it. This was very much sort of as you turned it in is what it ended up being. Yeah, we, we played around a couple times, you know, changing numbers or changing exactly what it did. But ultimately it kind of landed back in the original spot. And um, yeah, I'm very, I'm excited to sign autograph books. I'm excited to get my autograph books signed by other people. Um, I have, a, uh, and I've also got a bunch of playtest autograph books from all the drafts that we did in the office where all the office people signed them. Um, it's just a really fun card uh, to play um, both just having your friends all sign it or having like actual, you know, notable people sign it. Um, so yeah, this one definitely has a special place in my heart. I'm really happy that we got to make it. Okay, the next card, Myra the Magnificent. Two blue-red, a legendary creature, human performer, 2-4. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery from your hand, open an attraction. X and tap, exile target instant or sorcery card with mana value X from your graveyard and choose an attraction you control that doesn't have a midway counter on it. Put a midway counter on it. Whenever you visit that attraction, copy the exiled card. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. Okay, so Myra as a character got made very, very early on. In, in fact, 
Myra the Magnificent's Intergalactic Astratorium of Fun, I think was like one of the early name, like that name just stuck around forever. Yeah. Yeah, so this was like straight out of the world guide. It was basically like, you know, the world building team and Don, who's the art director, they came up with this character. They're like, this is the, you know, the founder of the park, the the Walt Disney, if you will, of this, uh, you know, theme park, circus, amusement park. Um, and so we knew we wanted to make it as a legend. And my big thing was that um, we, we, we were at that early stage. We didn't really know what we wanted our legends to do. We didn't know exactly what. And But my big thing was that this is the founder of the park. She made the park. She's sort of invented all of the, you know, different attractions and stuff. So I really think that she wants to have a heavy attraction theme. She wants to feel like she is creating, you know, a theme park with all of these interesting things. Um, the interesting thing about Myra is that in, uh, in Limited... Uh, blue and red aren't the the biggest attraction colors. Um, black is really the the central point of attractions in the set. Um, so my idea was basically, all right, we, we this character really feels blue red based on the flavor and the story that we made for her. Um, so how could we tie in something that blue red tends to care about with attractions? And that's that's where the idea of incidents and sorceries allowing you to open attractions, and then you sort of imprinting those spells back onto the attraction so they start going off and make this crazy you know really strong midway um uh that just seemed to, to come together really well um and you know we played around with a various different you know costs and whatnot um but i think that central idea of she makes a very unique uh midway that is you know special because she's the one who created it that stuck around yeah, one of the things that's interesting is whenever you do a theme, you want to make sure there are legendary creatures that play in your mechanical themes because you want commanders that people can sort of play around with. And one of the things we were very conscious in this set, I mean, there's 30 legendary creatures in the set. That's very high. Uh, and the reason for that is there's not actually that many uncommanders. You know, there, there's not, you know, un unsets uh, haven't had that many legendary creatures in them. And so we wanted to sort of push a little bit and... The neat thing about attractions are they're they're in a deck that aren't tied to color. There is there is no color identity for the attractions. So you know, Myra lets you play all the attractions. There's 45 different attractions. So I mean, you can pick and choose which ones you want, obviously. Um, but you know, you you have a lot of options how you play Myra because you have access to all of them, even though she's only a blue and red card. Right, and it was important that we really like, or I really like the idea that she had some input that allowed you to open attractions since, right, blue and red have slightly fewer attraction openers than maybe some other color combinations. So this way in Commander, you could really build a deck that had a lot of instants and sorceries and then use those as the ways to open attractions. Right. You'll notice a lot of our, or not all of them, but we, we were conscious of making some legendary creatures that cared about attractions that made sure that they could open them since there's only so many openers in the set, you know, and especially per color. Okay, next up is Mobile Clone. So Mobile Clone costs two blue blue, four total, sorcery. Using a mobile device, take a picture of target creature. That device enters the battlefield as a token that's a photocopy of the picture, pictured creature. Photocopies include auras, equipment, counters, and stickers in the shot. Don't touch other people's phones without permission, and be careful if you do. Where did Mobile Clone come from? This is another card of yours, I think. Yes, yes. Um, so this card... So I guess uh, early on in exploratory, 
you sort of were telling us about the various things that we wanted to do in the set. We knew at the time what the theme was. We knew at the time that we wanted to use stickers. But one of the other things that you said to us was, hey, this is, we should consider the fact that almost everybody nowadays has a mobile device, a cell phone, normally a cell phone, but you know, it could be a, a tablet or something else. Um, but most people have mobile phones, smartphones nowadays. We should consider that available to us in our realm of design. And so we actually went through a good number of different, um, you know, phone-based designs. Not a lot of them ended up sticking. There's two big ones that, you know, I can recall. But so the idea for mobile clone was basically, um, we had this idea of an uncard, a clone that copies everything about a creature. And that's something that a lot of players sort of, when they play a clone, if, they've, if they're just starting out, if they don't know the rules, they sort of tend to think, oh, well, you know, m my creature has plus one, plus one counters on it. Doesn't my clone have that size boost? Oh, my creature has an aura on it. Does it get the things from that? And that's not how the rules of normal magic work. But we thought it would be cool to make a, an uncard clone that did count all of those things. Um, and so really that idea of a clone that counted everything and the idea of phones now being available sort of came together to make this card. It's like, oh, how will you remember all the stuff? What if you just took a picture? Uh, hey, if you take a picture, what if you just use your phone as the actual card itself? Um, and so really those the blending of those two ideas came together really well to create this card. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy about cards like this. Like I said, um, and we'll talk about the other phone card in one second. There, there was only two cards that ended up sort of being phone cards. Um, and there's a third card that's a social media card, you know, but... Sure, um, right, yeah. But the... Uh, there's a lot of talk about, is this a good idea or a bad idea? In the FAQ, you are allowed to draw a picture. Like, if you don't have a phone, you, you can draw a picture of it. It's not nearly as endearing as, as taking a picture with your phone. Um, but you don't have to have to have a phone. But there's a lot of controversy about, like, should we make a card? Not everybody has a phone, although most people have a phone. Um, we ended up making this rare, and we, we limited how many cards we did. But we thought it was such a a cute card, we, we left it in. And then we spent a lot of time on the reminder text about, like, how do people handle other people's phones and stuff like that. Yeah, the uh, we definitely made sure that the phone cards were at higher rarities so that they didn't show up all the time. Um, but there is just something that's so fun about taking a picture with your phone, putting your phone on the table, and, like, I attack you with my phone. Like, it's just, it's a really, like, kind of visceral, fun experience. Um, so I'm glad that, right, Unsets have, you know, this is true of the phones, it's true with dexterity cards, it's true with die rolling, but unsets have a, some mechanics that not everyone is a huge fan of, but hopefully they will be able to find something in the set that they enjoy. Okay, so let's talk about the other phone card just because uh, while we're on the phone topic. So uh, this is Phone a Friend, three blue blue, sorcery, call someone and ask them to choose one. If they don't answer, an opponent chooses one. Don't explain anything else, you choose targets. A, gain control of target creature you don't control. B, choose target creature you control. Create two tokens that are each copies of it. C, take an extra turn after this one. D, draw seven cards. Um, so this is another of your. I believe this is another one of yours. Um, yes. This is, this is my sort of brain-to-print card uh, for this. I mean, I, there's a couple of others that stayed the same, but this one I very distinctly remember. Um this one and, yeah, like Annie's Animate Object are two where it's like, this is from Exploratory and it survived <laughs> all the way. Um, but right, so the mobile clone 
came about sort of over time with the with the phone idea. But this card was immediately like when you said phones are on the table, I was like, we have to make a card where you call someone. It's just so such a fun idea for, you know, like outside assistance is something that, you know, people are already do. And I've, you know, I've played a lot of games of Unstable where someone will, you know, call up their friend to ask them if they like squirrels or something. Um, and so I really like the idea of like sort of formalizing it as like the flavor of the card as you call someone. And, you know, uh, in terms of, I was like, okay, so you call someone. So then what does that do? Like, wh why would you call them? Um, and to me, just the, the very obvious, you know, answer was, the classic, classic, like, who wants to be a millionaire uh, lifeline phone a friend where you, you call someone, you give them the options, and then they sort of just have to give you their best guess. Um, and what's really fun about this card is that um, you can phone someone who, you know, is really into magic. You can phone someone who doesn't know anything about magic, you know. Just like in, in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, when you phone a friend, sometimes they know exactly, you know, what the answer is, and sometimes they have no idea and they just make a best guess. Um but I, I was, so I was really enamored with this. I remember we we played it that first. You want to tell the story of the first time we cast it and explored? Yeah. Magic. So the first the first time we cast it, I I get the card. Uh, so I call my wife Laura, who I mean many many years ago played Magic, but hasn't played Magic in ages. Uh, and I believe if she picks A, I win the game. Um, but I mean I'm not allowed to tell her what's going on, and she you know she has no Magic. Like, it's not really a thing that even to explain to her. Um, and I'm like, we're, I'm just sitting here like, I, she can't hear me, but I'm like, you know, A, A, A. Um, and then she ends up picking C, I think, take an extra turn. And I'm like, no! And like, everybody started laughing. And I put it on speaker so that everybody in the room could hear it. Um, and it was just, it was one of those moments where like, the second that happened, I'm like, how do we not make this card? Like, it just, like, everybody stopped and was focused on, like, we had multiple games going on, and every game stopped so they could hear my wife say what she was going to do, you know, it was just, um, it's like kind of when Annie attacked with a hand sanitizer, you know, with the, the uh, there's yeah. just moments where something happens, you're like, okay, we're printing this card, and that, that was like, once that happened, I'm like, I don't know how we're not printing this card. Yeah, I, um... Yeah, so I agree. Like that was such a special moment. I was like, I you know, I made the card. I wasn't sure. I thought it would be fun, but it turned out to be so awesome. Uh, this is a card though that like is also a good example of where sort of the the game design of Unset comes in. Because it's like, okay, cool. You call someone up, they choose options. That's a really fun idea for a card. But it took us a long time to get like the exact stuff right. You know, like there's four options and trying to make sure, you know, when we picked these options, we tried to make sure that they were things that someone without a lot of magic knowledge could understand, right? So the idea of take an extra turn, draw seven cards, gain control of something. These are things where if you, you know, if you haven't played magic, you might be able to understand what that means. Like take an extra turn, like, you know, you've... You've played a board game probably where you take an extra turn. That's pretty strong. Drawing seven cards, that's a lot of cards. Um, but also things like, oh, well, we made it so that if they don't answer your opponent picks, um, that was a thing of like, you know, if they don't pick up, like we don't want you to call another person and another person and just d stall the game out. So having your opponent choose, I mean, they're all still quite strong. So even if you get the worst one, like, you know, that's, that's still an okay card to cast. But it was a lot more fun to just, hey, just skip ahead and keep the game moving. Don't delay by calling people over and over again. Okay, so we have one last card to talk about before we have to wrap up for today. Uh, and this might be one of the cutest cards in the set. Carnival Barker. Uh, so two and a red for a creature, dog employee, 3-3. Three, three. 
tap. You have 30 seconds to lot a creature you control to any people outside the game. Until end of turn, that creature gains trample and haste and gets plus X plus O, where X is the number of those people who applauded. Activate only as a sorcery and only once. So I think this was my card, right? Yeah, so I think from very early on, the idea of a carnival barker, of like, you know, it's a carnival barker, but it's a dog. Everyone was like, of course, what a cute <laughs> idea. We have to do that. Um, and I remember, though, that we, we were like, okay, for sure this card is in the set. We're definitely going to make it. But it took us a long time to figure out what it should do. I remember for a while, it was kind of like an MC variant uh mc being an older unhinged uh card but it was like when a creature showed up you would like you know talk it up or something yeah so um, yeah mc was an unhinged um and, and ironically if mc had not been made we might have just done mc for the carnival barker um but because mc existed uh i was really enamored the thing that ended up making this design was what does a carnival barker do and i'm like well his job you know, the, the, the job of a carnival barker is to get you to come see the thing that they want you to see. They're trying to sell you on, ooh, this is an amazing thing, come watch it. And so I'm like, well, how do we duplicate that in a magic game? Um, and that's what came up with the idea of, well, what if you're trying to get people to applaud it? What if you're trying to get people you know, invested in it? And um, yeah, the, originally, I, I think you could use this card multiple times. Like, okay, that's that's just too much. I'm gonna, we'll, right. we'll just make it once. So, so the the... I remember basically my contribution to this design basically being that at some point we figured out, okay, like, what if, like, you're trying to get people to come look and, you know, like, we, there are versions where it's like you're trying to get someone to pick it up, like, so they could look at the card and be excited or you're trying to get, and I think that we were bouncing a lot of ideas around in this space, and at some point, the exact, the exact text on this card, I think, came from me, where I was like, all right, you can only do this exactly once in the game because it's it's very repetitive and annoying to try and get people to come over and over and over again but the idea of someone shows up and it's like all right this is my one chance i'm going to do my best performance try and get as many people to show up as possible and get this one huge attack on um right so like the thing about like you can only activate it once 30 seconds um there's a scaling reward with the number of people who applaud so you know even if you you always get haste and trample um, but if you can, you know, even just one or two people applauding, it's like, all right, that's a little bonus. Um, and I think once we landed on this design, we were like, this, this was the most fun version where it was really focused on, um, you know, instead of every creature or every turn, it's like just one time per game. You know, of course there's, there's occasionally times where it gets bounced or something, but for the most part, you're not doing it as often, which I think one of the things that we've noted about a lot of these cards in the past, like the same thing is true with, uh, with phone a friend. Uh, and it's why it's a mythic is that there are things that are really fun to do, but they're not fun. If you do them over and over again, you know, in every game, or even just like, you know, if it happens a couple times over the course of the night, like that's the, the peak fun is that it only happens every so often. And so for a lot of these cards, we put them at rare and tried to make them more powerful so that, they wouldn't show up in as many drafts. You wouldn't draw them as often. But when you did, you would have a good time. Yep. And with that, I guess we'll have to wrap up for today. So uh, I've, I've made it back to my desk, or I made it to my desk. Um, but thanks. I want to thank you, Chris, for being with us. Like, the this set took a long time to make, uh, more so than the normal set. Uh, it had a longer everything, basically. 
Um, and so it, it is fun finally talking about it. And I'm, I'm glad and like, you and I worked on it forever. So it's fun to discuss all right. the different ideas it, with you. It's so. so nostalgic now. It's like when I <laughs> see the cards, it's like, oh, I remember back in the day when we made this card. So, so anyway, thank you so much for being with us, Chris. Thanks for having me. And everybody else, I'm now uh, at my desk. So we all know that means, it means at the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.